Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very happy to be joined by a fellow lover of math and all things quantitative. We have Kathleen Almi here today. Kathleen, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you're a more active practitioner of the quantitative arts, which is a nice thing for me. I'm more I'm a dabbler these days. But we always begin the show by talking to our guests about what got them to this point in their professional lives. And I know you're doing some really interesting work in, in higher ed, helping teachers and helping uh, adult learners, but I'd rather hear that in, in your own words. Can you begin by letting us know what got you to this point in your professional life? Sure. I now own my own math education consulting business, but where I got to this point was I was a math teacher for over 20 years and I still teach part-time. I just absolutely love the subject. And to give you a sense, my mother was a kindergarten teacher. My dad was a college math professor. Mm. So I'm like the best of both of them and a lot of energy. And I know what math can look like in a classroom. And so I always wanted to have more students have a positive experience. I always wanted to help other teachers. My goal was always like, what could I do that would have more of an impact on more students? Mm -hmm. So they could have a positive experience because they were having that in my classroom. And I wanted you know, spread the joy around a little bit. Yeah. So I worked for um, years and different things at my college on reforms, developmental education, students that aren't taking college level courses. It is a huge problem in our mm -hmm. country. It's a very expensive problem. And it's also not always the students fall. It's not always just, they don't know their math well enough. We've got yeah. a lot of structures in place that just are dated and don't work. People have described me as I'm a kind of like a dog with a bone. When I decide I'm going to do something, I do it. Yeah. Um, so I was involved in all kinds of reforms at my college. I ended up writing a textbook from it. I was involved with state reforms, national reforms. My thing is their issue. How can we solve the problem? What are the tools that we need? And how do we make it work for faculty and students? I mm -hmm. want faculty to have a good experience in the classroom. I want students to have good outcomes. I started working more at the classroom level of that and then branched out more to the policy and structures and systems and all of that. In 2017, I left my, my tenure track job. There's sometimes when I'm thinking, why did I do that? <laughs> but that I could have retired in at my college. And I went and led a state initiative in Illinois for a couple of years, which really gave me a sense of, I'd done some administrative work, but that was really heavily administrative work, which is yeah. good because you get to see the other side of things. And it's just a different way of doing things. But I was in an initiative that was related again to developmental math, but it was mm -hmm. specifically affecting high school students okay. and them getting placement into colleges. And I left that position in 2019 and started my business. I'd already had my business, but I went into it full-time at that point. And yeah. what I was doing until the pandemic was helping high schools and colleges with whatever needs they had related to math. Yep. And the pandemic hit and the biggest need was teachers are struggling with remote teaching. We did lots of things in 2020 for that. And now we're coming out of this sort of, it feels like. Yeah. So we're, we're shifting our focus with our business too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So good job by you picking up the flag and pursuing solutions to the big problem of teaching developmental math. And can you explain what developmental education is? I think folks may be more familiar with remedial education as the old term. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of that's evolved to now be called developmental education. Can you describe what that problem space is? Yeah, we typically have placement tests that determine whether or not a student is allowed to take a college level math class. And because of the structures of our placement, 
about half of students in the U.S. place into developmental math, meaning they're not being allowed to take a college level course for credit. And so they're basically taking high school courses all over again. They, students don't do usually well at them because they're not engaged by them. They're bored. They didn't enjoy it the first time, right. really don't enjoy it the second. And, but the other issue is we have so many different kinds of students in developmental education. You've got the student that's 17, 18 that just graduated and they've placed into it all the way to, you've got the 35-year-old mom that mm -hmm. wants to improve her earning potential. Right. And so she's trying to get a college degree. And so we're serving a lot of different students. And it's definitely not, there's just one type of student that is in developmental education. That's why mm -hmm. there's no one solution that works for everybody. Yeah. It's just very nuanced. Yeah, makes sense. But it's, it's adult learners and it, it's really clearing a hurdle to get the credentials and the, the advancement they need frequently in support of social mobility. Like they're trying to figure out mm -hmm. how do I get a better job? How do I, you know, get placed in something where there is a requirement? And then a lot of people, unlike the two of us, don't love math. And for them, I always felt part of the job of a great math teacher was to lead by example and to show why you find math fun. And then also why math is relevant. Relevance is another macro trend that we always wind up talking about on, on this uh, podcast but I know it's particularly relevant to math. What about the idea of relevance when it comes to math? Because I think it's both something that many of us are passionate about when, it, when we do it, but it's also frequently one of the bigger knocks on why people don't want to learn math is that because it's not really connected to something that they're really going to need to know in the real world. I'd love to hear you expound about this. Oh my gosh, that is one of my biggest areas of focus. And that's why I wrote a textbook. And the name of it is Math Lit short for mathematical literacy. And there was a whole national movement to like reimagine what developmental education, not just speed it up or slow it down or chunk it, but is what we're teaching in the classroom make any sense? And I'm so happy we finally got to this conversation because I knew, you know, forever, it's like, why are we teaching the things that we're teaching? Because you can't convince a 35-year-old that, that they need to be able to factor to get a job in real life. They already know they don't. And so when we just come off our curriculum, it just seems so out of touch mm -hmm. with what people really need. And it, that really frustrated me too. It's like, why do we put students through all of this to get a bunch of skills to say they have them? And then when there are things like dealing with their mortgage, they can't make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Like, what have we achieved? Mm -hmm. and, and we put them through so much to get to that point. And it's just, to me, there's so much wrong with the structures. So it's taken a while. There's a lot of pieces that, that have had to change and move and grow over time. But one of them was we got to make our, our content better. Mm -hmm. And so when I started teaching in 2010, 2011, we, there was a new course nationally that was called Math Literacy for College Students. And it was the mm -hmm. idea of if you're in developmental, but you're headed, say, towards statistics, let's have a course that's meant for you. Mm -hmm. Let's not just do two trains passing in the night and who cares when they're going to crash. Let's not. Let's do something maybe with loans or debt or just mm. anything that you might be interested in because it's something you actually deal with. And anything you do with money, students are interested in because yeah. it's tangible. Right. That makes sense to them. And they all deal with it. So we tried, my colleague and I, we tried to find resources and try to piece them together because that's what most times teachers do. We don't have time to build a curriculum and there just isn't anything out there. So she and I, we end up writing the textbook and Pearson publishes it. But we had to reimagine every single thing. We had to go through every single topic that we typically teach in developmental ed and argue amongst ourselves, 
is this necessary? Mm-hmm. Can we defend this? And so much of it, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. We, uh, there was like, why are we doing this other than we always have? That's not a good enough reason. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting uh, as you were talking, it also reminded me of a conversation uh, we had on a recent show with Mordecai Brownlee about developmental education and the difference between co-requisite and prerequisite developmental education, which again was news to me, but the idea that when it's co-requisite, meaning you're taking your developmental education, not prior to when you're taking your other programs, you're taking them at the same time. Mm -hmm. It allows you to sync up your developmental education with the actual coursework that you're doing at the same time. So to your example, if you're taking a statistics class, you would have a coach who would help you with the developmental math you would need to be able to keep up. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. Do you have any thoughts about the models of educational delivery and how people learn math best, especially the the developmental population? What's been your experience? And when you coach folks, whether it's online or otherwise, I guess a lot of it will probably be online these days. What approaches have you found to be most successful? Let me start with something that isn't successful. If you've never taught math before, and very well many people think we just need to set students in front of really good computer programs, Mm -hmm. good videos, whatever. If students could learn math from watching a video, they wouldn't be in developmental math. That's just reality. And nobody learns it that way. You have to have human interaction. So the, the idea that we had forever was a prerequisite approach. You've got to satisfy all these skills. It was a deficit model. What did you not learn in high school? We're going to determine what that is. You have to relearn it again. And that's not the approach anymore. Thank goodness. The approach is things like co-requisites. Could we go ahead and put you in the college level course, knowing that you're not quite ready for it, but you know what, maybe if we gave you some extra help, could you do it? Yeah. What we found, the data has shown there's a lot of students that can do it. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and just jumping in, this is my opportunity to talk about Lev Vygotsky in the zone of proximal development. If the tutor is there, they can actually help the learner when she's in that danger zone. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, frequently, if there's not that pairing, let's say they even cleared the hurdle of the prerequisite developmental education, then they're just expected to keep up on the other side. And depending on the type of learner you are, you might need a different type of connection, a different that human interaction that you're describing. Absolutely. And you're dealing with the idea of relevance there. I love teaching statistics because it's so real. There's nothing we do in the course that is contrived. Right. So if there's a topic that is more related to a developmental skill, if it has something to do with percentages or some basic algebra ideas, when we need to brush up on it, it has a point. It is mm-hmm. relevant. We're not just doing this because we don't have anything better to do. Yeah. It's so that we can make sense of some statistical concept that we're trying to work with. And then when students, they're not dumb, they know this, they need things to have a point. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of what we do in math education, I, I love math, and but my students typically don't. So we have to engage them. That doesn't mean entertain, but we do have to engage them because that's how we learn. I think the thing is, though, that CoREC has become like the magic solution to everything that a lot of um, people will just be like, because it can work. It absolutely can work. They're like, we should just do CoREC for everyone at scale, get rid of all developmental education and everything will be great. I wish that were true. But like I said, we have a huge variety of students that come to us at different levels. And we have some students that 
with all the help in the world, they couldn't get through my stats class. They need a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. But here's what I think is so cool. It's nowhere near the percentage we thought it was. Mm. Like we used to think co-rec was only for just like a few students and everybody else needs developmental like prerequisite courses. It's flipped. Mm. More students can benefit from co-rec than we ever realized. But if they need something for developmental, then that's where the course that I worked on is perfect for them. And all this stuff works together. That's the problem too. A lot of schools have different competing initiatives that do not work together. So that's what I've done so much work in this space and I've Mm -hmm. done with large groups and small groups and states and all this other stuff. So I know how to do it on scale. And what I'm helping schools do now is they have all these things they tried but it, the way I think of it is they're just kind of like individual cogs yeah. and it's, they're not working together as one machine yeah. to move the student forward. So mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm helping them figure out, okay, it's really not hard to find a school to be like, we do co-recs and they have one section. Yeah. So, no. Okay. Like how much are we doing co-recs? How right. much are we doing pre-recs? Do yep. we have, we looked at placement. There's a lot of pieces here and that's what I'm helping schools do now. And like really like zone in on what's the combination that works for them and then let's get it in place. Yeah, makes sense. And it sounds like for that audience out there who might be trying to navigate some of this complexity around their math program, particularly in in the higher ed space, uh, community colleges in particular are are where Mm -hmm. I would gravitate towards my thinking. Clearly what Kathleen and team are doing uh, around the consulting space is is a place to look. What about beyond higher ed or even thinking about higher ed in the context of a bigger lifetime learning opportunity that we all have. How do you think about math education writ large, whether it's K-12 and then in particular for adults? Because a lot of adults maybe missed the opportunity years ago to get the, the basic quantitative literacy that they need to be effective adults, hashtag adulting. Have you, do you have any perspective on how we can start to crack that nut? Yeah, it's funny, yeah, because this all ties together. This, you know, comes back to why I was so passionate about why we have to change developmental education. Students get bogged down in that for years, and they never really get to the courses that they need, things like quantitative reasoning or statistics or whatever. I see this constantly uh, because I have a variety of different employees and contractors for my company. And on the business side of it, we are always looking at data all the time. And I have some people that absolutely love doing that. And I have some people, they see numbers and they're terrified. Yeah. And I want them all to have some confidence. That's my goal with my statistics course. When you leave, I want you to be able to have some confidence in the numbers that you see, like yeah. when you're seeing poll results with the, the election or whatever, mm-hmm. when you're seeing the coronavirus numbers and you're seeing these graphs and they're talking about like, we need to bend the curve and all of yeah. this. Yeah. I want them to understand that. So that's the stuff that we talk about. And if they come away and they don't understand that, what are we doing? And so to me, it's like anything that we can do either at college, after college, in K-12, we've got to modernize what we teach and acknowledge the world we live in. And when I got out of full-time out of the classroom and I was in that administrative position, and then when I went in full-time in the business, I just see this more and more. I love the classroom, but it is very divorced from the reality that our students and adults live in. Yeah. It's funny, no one wants to have a pandemic, but I will say this, what do I say? Don't waste a crisis. This is the time everybody had to change everything with instruction, assessment, all of it. And what's been so cool is that there's a lot of people in math and science, but particularly in math, that once they realized that their students could do their entire test with Google, 
Yeah. And they're like, what am I teaching? Why are we doing this? Why are we testing like this? It was very existential. What are we doing here? And it's scary, but I'm glad those conversations are happening because they're long overdue. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think there's a real opportunity uh, and a challenge to make the math instruction engaging enough to compete Mm -hmm. with all the other exciting new things you can do in your home that are coming <laughs> with the pandemic. In fact, I was recently talking to the Anarupa Gangali is the CEO of uh, a VR company that teaches algebra. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you could teach some of these algebraic concepts, and she used the example of the pandemic to create a VR experience that teaches you about exponential growth. That's the part that does get exciting to me. I think there are real opportunities to make math relevant. And then the other piece I'd like to to dig into a bit with you too, is the imposter syndrome or the ways in which people's concepts of themselves as not being able to do things, the lack of a growth mindset around math, mm-hmm. many times is the, the place where, for me, in my experience as someone who's tutored a lot of people in math over the years, you kind of have to break through to that human on the other side who feels like they are less than, and <laughs> that's a math thing, and then make them feel that they can actually be greater than. I'm going to stick with it. But, but do you have any any thoughts on that? Yeah. And it, it sounds like, like I'm dogging on math teachers, of which I am one. I don't think it's any one teacher. I think it's a system. I think it's time and history, how we've done things for a long time. But I think the way that we teach math and what we value trains people to perceive math in a certain way that if you can't solve things with equations and you can't move X around on a page, then you're no good with math. In these new courses that we're teaching at the developmental level, one of the big things that we emphasize is the thinking behind it. Mm -hmm. It's not just, can you use algebra? Great. Could maybe you just use a spreadsheet? Could you do it numerically? Mm -hmm. And what I love is when you define success differently, it's not, can you do my technique my way every time, but it's, can you articulate how you thought through this yes. and get an, a reasonable answer. It's amazing what this does for students. They, mm-hmm. they just open up and they just feel, oh my God, this is the first time someone ever like, said that the way I do it is okay. Yeah. You know, that because it's not all about just algebra. I think algebra can be amazing. It has its place. Mm-hmm. It's not all the time. And I think that's one of the biggest crimes we have. And, it's, and a lot of this is dated from back in the 50s and the 60s when we were, as a country, we were trying to create um, more engineers. And so we built our whole curriculum on the idea of getting everybody to calculus. And that's just not where people are going. And we've been slow to change that. It has changed though. So I will say that it takes a lot of effort to make that happen. But I think the idea of I know I say this, I know you hear this everywhere, this whole grit and growth mindset. I say it to my students, it's they're like, oh, I'm not a math person. Oh, it's like, no, just because you can't do this one thing right now doesn't mean you can never do it. It's, it's just not yet. And we're going to keep working on it. I take that attitude with everything, including schools. When I work with them, it's so funny because math teachers in the classroom, we want students to work through problems and be willing to persist even when it gets hard. But when things get hard, when they're trying to improve their programs, it's very easy to give up. It's Mm. like, hey, we got to practice what we preach here. When we don't know what we're doing, one of the big things I want to teach my students is how do you start when you don't know how to start? How do you get going with something? And then Mm. I think the other thing too is just getting over the fact that you're going to get everything perfect from the get-go. That was one of the things running a business, boy, it takes your ego down many notches because you realize how much you don't know. And I love to learn. So I didn't mind that, but it's just even things you think you understand. No, but that's a good thing. We want students to be learning how to learn. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then I did want to ask uh, quickly about working together. Another thing that is a bigger trend uh, that's talked about a lot is the benefit of collaborative learning experiences, learning how to be part of a team, mm. uh, doing problem-based learning. I think about a lot of this in the context of the future of work, where you need to know at least enough math to be able to hang in a professional setting and, and then mm-hmm. understand how to provide value wherever you might. And then when you're on your own, there are places where you're going to have to work individually doing your taxes or managing your finances, where I think there's some base level competencies needed on the individual side. But do you have any thoughts on the understanding how to work in a team or more the, the ways to integrate some of the, the social and interpersonal skills with developing math skills? Absolutely. That's one of the things, especially with that math literacy course that we were very specific on, but I do it in my stats course. We, and anywhere that we can get in, I love letting students work on something real with other students. And it has a point. I'm married to an engineer. I've watched him. I watched him go through college. And then he's been an engineer for more years than we can count, but they all work together. It's not this hyper-competitive environment. It's this total collaborative way of learning. Mm-hmm. And so I'll even do things where I do group quizzes sometimes, which math people get a little bit nervous about. They're like, oh my God, grades are going to be inflated. Then don't count it for that much. But I don't even see that being the issue. What I love is you get them together and they will talk more than they'll talk about anything because it has a point. In this case, it's their grade and they care about it. But my goal is for them to be talking to each other, to learn how to communicate verbally on, on print. However, I need them to get those skills Because so much of what an employer needs is the person who can articulate things. We write all the time in business. I just think it's amazing how much we write. Like people, students are often like, why do I have to write all the time? It's you're going to write in your job all the time. Most people do. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to calculate things, even though you don't expect you're going to. And it's, Mm -hmm. you're going to use computers. You're going to work with people. You're going to work with people you don't like and who don't do what you want them to do. This is life. And you need to start working on it now. Yeah. And you're going to have to work with people who might get their math wrong uh, too. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that in a world of fake news, something I have talked about at times <laughs> is fake math, where people will communicate things with a mathicity to it, but it's not actually factual. So that is another element uh, of being a, a functioning citizen and an adult is the ability mm-hmm. to understand when the wool is being pulled over your eyes, advertisers and pollsters, and depending on who you're talking to, people get pretty casual with their use of math. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Just how adults uh, need a basic math competency to be able to fend with uh, the information overload and misinformation that we're dealing with these days? Yeah, I always say if there's one thing I could change before I die, it would be to get rid of the college algebra requirement that we have in universities across the country Mm. and change it to a statistics requirement Mm. because we're inundated. I always tell my students this, people are trying to influence you every day and they're using different ways and they're counting on that you're not paying attention. They're counting on, you're not looking at the details. Graphs are frequently misleading. Numbers are misleading. It's so easy because it's like people see numbers and they're like, must be true. It's a number. Or, you know, they gave this to me. It must be true. It's no, no question. Ask what's their motive? Where'd this come from? Yeah. Dig a little deeper. Don't take everything at face value. That's what they're counting on. And it's trying to get people just like, to read and slow down. We have such a fast culture. Yeah. We want everything immediate when everything fast, but the reality is nothing that's good in life comes fast. Yeah. Um, and 
learning does not come fast. It is something that takes time. I'm trying to get them to understand, and if we can make it enjoyable along the way, it, it helps them be able to endure that process. And getting them to realize you, you've got to dig a little bit deeper and really analyze this stuff because that's the piece that's going to matter in your life. And you want to feel confident and not just be at the mercy of an advertiser or whatever information that is being put in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and if folks want to get their, their math act together, is there a website that uh, folks should go to if they want to learn more about what we've been talking about? Absolutely. So it's almyeducation.com, A-L-M-Y education.com. And we do all kinds of things, but particularly if you're looking for either help for teachers, uh, math teachers with remote needs. We have a whole slew of solutions for that. And if you're looking for your school to make your developmental math program work, reach out. Awesome. We are happy to work with you. Awesome. And uh, before we let you go, Kathleen, I always love to ask our guests, what else is emerging in the world around us that we haven't talked about so far that is capturing your imagination? So the floor is yours. Anything else uh, out there that you've been noticing? I probably already alluded to it, but I've seen a lot of people start to really have serious conversations on what's the point of college? What does it mean to have a college degree? Not just what are we doing in these math classes, but the whole thing, like, what are we doing? Does this make sense anymore? And does our model, just like all of it, it's, it's built on structures that were from over a hundred years ago and that were, you know, built on a society that we don't live in anymore. Yeah. And as someone who is always looking towards the future and wants to improve things like this is super exciting for me for a lot of people it's scary though they yeah. people want to cling to what they know and they want to go back to like how it was before it's not like everything before was working in fact what we find we're finding is most things weren't working mm -hmm. and it's just now a light's been shown on it and we can see how bad things were and for how many people and it's like the pandemic and yes as horrible as it has been and by the way, I had it and so did all my family, oh, wow. even though we were like, we did everything we were supposed to, still yeah. got it. Yeah. And it's awful. Yeah. It is a horrible thing. I don't wish that on anybody, but I am a big believer in let's try to find the silver linings where we can. Yeah. And I do think that this has forced people to see things that they weren't willing to look at before. Yeah. And higher ed needs that more than anybody because mm -hmm. we are just... I always think of, of higher ed as like a baby sloth. It's really cute, but it's slow. It's just, it's, it's just, oh yes, higher ed, that's a wonderful thing. But it is just, we move slow and it, you just can't do that anymore. We've got to adapt to the world that we're in. Yeah. So we've got to speed up the sloth, among <laughs> other things. Uh, really fascinating conversation. Kathleen Almy from Almy Education. Uh, check her out. Her book, Math Lit. A textbook, not everyone necessarily is going to pick it up, but look into math literacy, look into developmental education around math. Just quantitative competency is something we all need to, to know about these days. And it's a trend uh, to keep track of. I did want to say this, uh, Kathleen, too. I agree with everything you've been saying a thousand percent. So, Oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks again for joining. For our listeners, if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe to us uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, follow us at trendinginteducation.com or at trendinginedu on Twitter. We'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening.